How to Think Like Jesus Christ, Lesson 6, In Temptation. Great clarity comes from noticing how we respond under pressure. What we say reflects an edited version of what we think. Thus, what Jesus says when tempted by the devil is a powerful revelation of his values, principles and practices. Let's put the temptation in context. The chapters and verses of the Bible were added to help believers find the parts they wanted. They may or may not be divinely inspired. Most of the time, they are very helpful indeed. But let's not make them a guide to God's flow of revelation. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the narrative of the temptation. Without the end of chapter 3, it makes less sense. Remember, when written, there was no chapter 3 and no chapter 4 labels in the original manuscript. Here's what happens immediately before the temptation. Jesus, when he was baptised, went up directly from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming on him. Behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Oh, how I want to hear those words said of me by my heavenly Father. Don't you? What happens immediately after the divine endorsement? Why, temptation, of course. This is a pattern most of us experience on our spiritual journey. We enjoy a moment of triumph, and then the enemy of our souls presses in to attempt to crush each move forwards for the kingdom of heaven. I think most Western Christians forget we are at war. The war feels like it's way off in the metaphorical Pacific. We're not the ones under occupation, we're not being shot at, we're not being bombed, or so it seems. But this is a deception. John says in 1 John 5:19, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In some sobering moments in the early morning while I write this, I discovered that the Greek for lies in means I lie, I recline, I am placed, or even specially appointed destined. The text does not say in the power of, but rather lies in the evil, naturally leading many translators to think that this is the devil. However, let's keep an open mind on this. Gospel truth is the truth of the original text in its original language as it was originally meant. That's why folks go to Bible school, to get to grips with the author's intended meaning. The word used in the Greek here for evil is a word called poneros. It's an adjective, and it's derived from another word, ponos, which means pain, laborious trouble, properly pain-ridden, emphasising the inevitable agonies, the misery that always goes with evil. This reminds me of the curse on Adam and Eve, how painful toil would be the price of the earth yielding her wealth, a curse broken by the blood of Christ. We are taught in Scripture not to disrespect the enemy. The enemy is a foe that should neither be ignored nor underestimated. However, the truth is that the definitive battle has already been won at the cross. This was the enemy's fatal error, thinking that Jesus had transgressed and was deserving of the punishment of God laid upon him so viciously at the cross. The cross really is the crossroads in time. Thinking back to World War II after the surrender of the enemies, resistance went on especially in the Pacific. So also, the enemy of our souls continues to fight, and frankly, why wouldn't he? It doesn't end well for him. He knows scripture and has seen his end. In fact, the scriptures specifically declare he knows his time is short. 
That was a long introduction to say that every time you have manifest victory in Christ, don't be surprised if the thief comes to steal away the moment. If we are learning more of who Jesus is in order to think like him, so also we know who the enemy is. He is the thief who comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. We know from Mark chapter 4's parable of the sower that the enemy will steal or bring trouble and affliction because of the word. That sounds like the definition of evil in 1 John 5.19, doesn't it? When the enemy cannot steal the word away from you or cause you to feel offended because trouble and affliction in your circumstances seem to say the opposite to what God has promised you in covenant, the next strategy is to choke the word with the deceitfulness of riches, think comfort in the West, the lusts for other things, think of the combined consumer and entertainment engines and industries of the West, and the anxieties of this age. Need I say anything in the current season of fear? I rest my case, though God has been laying this on my heart. We are at war, and there can be no peace between us and the kingdom of darkness. Many of my secular humanistic friends understand this without understanding the source of the problem. We are seeing many freedoms fought for in conflicts such as the War of Independence in America and the two world wars eroded as if our governments are doing us a favour. No wonder the enemy is called the father of lies. We are at war for our freedom. Let's see how Jesus handles what happens next. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was hungry afterward. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. Then the devil took him into the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you don't dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, I will give you all of these, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and served him. This passage always inspires me. Here are the top-level thoughts. Firstly, who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Yes, the Spirit. This was in God's plan for his Christ. Secondly, Jesus was fasted up and all prayed up. He was in a powerfully spiritual elevated state, a powerful spiritually elevated state ready for battle. Thirdly, the tempter knows scripture and uses it. I think many Christians with a small c are surprised to learn that the tempter is a more faithful student of the scriptures than any preacher they've heard. The tempter is also a more regular attender of church than any Christian they've ever met. The enemy never misses a meeting. 
Point four, the tempter is not misquoting scripture, he is misusing it. That's very profound and an important distinction. Number five, Jesus' use of the sword of the Spirit is solely Deuteronomy-based. Hmm, that's worth some reflection, isn't it? And number six, angels served him. Now, all of this is a model for you and I of the expectations God our Father has on how we should live when we're fully trained. Jesus, the Word, unsurprisingly, knows the Word. We have a natural tendency to credit to Jesus all manner of benefits and advantages that the Scriptures do not assert. When did Jesus come to know he was the Christ? The typical position on this was that Jesus had some kind of conscious and secret duality, where he knew what was going on from end to end, fully God-conscious and fully man. I am not so certain. He had to be the model for us. And so what he achieved in life, through the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of the Scriptures, should be available to the fully trained Christian. Jesus himself says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. He also asserted that the religious professionals of the day were in error because they did not know enough of the Scriptures and did not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit strong enough to know a high enough measure of the power of God. I quote Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine: You are mistaken. And this is Jesus answering them. I'll read the full verse. But Jesus answered them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Let's start with reading the whole of Psalm 91, because I believe this is the psalm for this moment in history. In fact, seeing we are at war, let's read this as if our very lives may depend upon it being the truth. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you will take refuge. His faithfulness is your shield and rampart. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made Yahweh your refuge, and the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall happen to you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he will put his angels in charge of you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands so that you won't dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent underfoot. Because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. I want to read that psalm again. It's the psalm for the season. Isn't that just the best psalm for the current world crisis? Let me read it again personalised as a confession. It's daily bread. Maybe we should be saying it 
on a daily basis. I'll give you enough time to say each line after me. I who dwell in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. For He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. And from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers. Under his wings I will take refuge. His faithfulness is my shield and rampart. I shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness nor of the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at my side, and ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. I will only look with my eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because I have made Yahweh my refuge and the Most High my dwelling place, no evil shall happen to me. Neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. For he will put his angels in charge of me to guard me in all my ways. They will bear me up in their hands so that I won't dash my foot against a stone. I will tread on the lion and cobra. I will trample the young lion and the serpent underfoot. And my heavenly father says of me, Because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. Amen and amen, eh? That's my daily confession. Frankly, I'm surprised the tempter even brought this psalm up when tempting Jesus. However, I see the trick. The trick was in the misuse, not the misquoting, the misuse of scripture as a plaything to test whether God is as good as his word. 
That's a mad thing to do. Never do that. Let's finish this lesson with Jesus' use of scripture as three windows onto how to think like Jesus Christ. Firstly, I believe man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. Secondly, my practice is to make certain you shall not test the Lord your God is habitually true for me. I do not test the Lord my God. Thirdly, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord in obedience to the commandment. You shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him only. I think it is clear we need to up our intake of every word that proceeds out of God's mouth as if they are the most important elements of our daily diet. I think it is equally clear that we shouldn't be trying before we buy in the sense of testing whether or not God is as good as his word. This is not a game, this is war. I think we should reflect on a daily basis on how we could worship God more and serve him only. This means thinking very carefully about what the government is asking us to do at the moment. I want to think about governing in fear and by fear. The current season is a season governed by fear and fear tactics. I've never seen such a compliant and sheep-like population worldwide. Jesus said his sheep recognise his voice and follow him as the good governor, the good shepherd. The voice of fear is not the voice of Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him, for he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I spoke to some of my secular friends about the move towards compulsory inoculation, which they were suggesting was part of a worldwide conspiracy to tag us all. No one will be able to do certain activities unless they are tagged or inoculated. I pointed out that this was prophesied long ago, 2,000 years ago, as the mark of the beast, and that no one will be allowed to buy or sell without the mark. They mocked me. We shall see. I close with Peter and John's words in Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, judge for yourselves. For we can't help telling the things which we saw and heard. There is a sad notice, like something out of Narnia on the door of our local Anglican church. It says something to the effect of, closed at the moment, closed at the command of the government. Hmm.